Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another episode of SFP Now. Um, it is um, April the 22nd and it is 8.46 uh, approximately. And uh, joining me um, again this month is uh, our good friend Ben Cassidy. How are you doing, Ben? I'm all right, thanks, Ian. Yeah, mate, yeah, not, not too bad. How about yourself? I, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty excited, actually, because um, I'm, I'm, I've actually been invited to um, a virtual screening Oh, Wait, that's um, exciting! Tell us all about it. Yeah. Well, well, basically, uh, Mark Minger um, has written a load of comics, and uh, quite a few of his comics have been adapted into television shows and movies for Netflix. And the first one of those um, kicks off next month. It's called Jup- Jupiter's Legacy. So I've been invited to a virtual press screening for the uh, first two episodes of Jupiter's Legacy. Well, I think it's first two episodes, and you know, because it's it, it runs for two hours, so you know. But you know, it might might even be you know, might part of it might even be Mark Minger talking about you know the you know the origins of it all and and everything. I don't know yet, but I'm quite excited for that. That sounds really cool, mate. Yeah. So, um, do you know like a rough outline the premise of the show or anything? Um. Well. From trailer, it looks good. It looks like it's basically uh, a bunch of older superheroes and and the legacy that they left behind, and and the younger the 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 younger sons and daughters of these superheroes, uh, trying trying to give up to their their expectations. Um, but I think it also kind of explores the darker side of it as well. So so it's kind it's kind of like a human. I think it's kind of like human drama through the lens of superheroes and. You know, superheroes that are breaking bad and and stuff like that. It's interesting you say that, though, yeah, because I think um, if you look at stuff like Boys and um, Umbrella Academy, they're just two that spring to mind, and I think there's countless examples mm. of it. But uh, I think traditionally superhero stuff was only escapist, but in the last ten, fifteen years, it's definitely sort of like, and even the MCU as well. You know, it's um, it's taken on that extra depth, hasn't it? And I think it definitely does. Deal more with drama than they ever used to originally. Like the old stuff. Mm, you know? cer- I mean, um, certainly on I the guess- big, certainly on the big and small screen, it has. Uh, but in the comic books, um, the 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 dark darker side and the the humanity of it's been getting explored, being being has been getting explored for quite some time. Uh, because uh, you know Frank Miller's Dark Knight and Dark Knight Returns came out in nineteen eighty five, I think. So it's been going on for a good long while. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you had them. Um, you did have some stuff, didn't you? You had the odd thing that, um, like, the original Incredible Hulk series, that had more of his sort of, like, backstory, and it was kind of more emotional-based. But generally speaking, up until 2000, most televised and filmed superhero stuff 
not all of it, but the majority of it was escapist, wasn't it? Really, you know, it didn't, it didn't, you didn't get these big long drawn out narratives that you have now. It was, but here's an interesting fact about the Incredible Hulk series. Um, it was produced by uh, Kenneth Johnson, who also uh, created the Bionic Woman uh, back in the day, and he also created the miniseries V. Now, uh, the Incredible Hulk series, uh, you notice he was called David Banner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And not Bruce Banner. Do you know what that was? No. Um, well, apparently, Kenneth Johnson, who created the series, he didn't like the name Bruce Banner, you know, because he, he, he thought it sounded a little bit, you know, gay. <laughs> so yeah. he decided to change it to uh, David Banner, and uh, he got Stangy's consent to do it. Um, but also, I think the um, I think the premise of the TV series, The Incredible Hulk, was ki- kind of you know they they kind of went a different way with it as well. Groundbreaking in its own way, you know. I mean, I know that um, I don't think the Incredible Hulk was on uh, the eighties series was on our schedule to discuss this evening. But hey, up we are discussing it, so there you go. Um, it was quite groundbreaking in its own way. I think you know. Um, I think it sort of. Um, if you look at some of the later stuff that's been done now, you know, as a visual thing, maybe it doesn't hold up now, you know, and maybe they didn't have a lot of money and it was never meant to, but it was a really well-written show, I feel, you know, with a lot of strong sort of writing in it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and also, I, don't, I just don't think that, uh, that that Kenneth Johnson was a fan of that alliteration, you know, with characters' names, you know, like Bruce Banner, um, where where you got the first name would be and the second name would be. I just don't think he was a, a fan of that sort of name. I mean, I'm, I might be wrong. Like, you're, I'm sure you'll tell me whether I'm right, or whether I'm wrong. But I'm sure that like for quite a while after that, a few people said, "Oh, is he called David? Is he called Bruce?" But isn't isn't David his middle name in the comics? Isn't he Bruce David David Bruce Banner or something? No, like no, that? no, 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 no. Um, we only know him as Bruce Banner in the comics. Uh, but what they did in the TV series. To, to keep the name Bruce in there is they, they, they named him it was on his tombstone if you know it's at the beginning where he's sort of like by his tombstone of the uh, of the credits it says David Bruce Banner on there that's and right they, that's what I'm thinking of yeah and they kept that in um, you know I, I guess as a tip of a hat to the comics uh, I guess they the just wanted to say his real name is David but no one's ever known Basically, well, I think I think that's where I think that's kind of how how they went with it on the TV show, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I never thought we'd be discussing the Incredible Hulk. It's um, you know, it's a show I used to love. I've got the first season of it on my Amazon Prime account. So it's um, I've got the full box set actually, my DVD, and um, it's it's always a very nostalgic thing for me because like. We used to go, I used to go see my dad at weekends. My mum and dad didn't live together when I was younger, when I was like five, six or seven. And um, my dad used to make these montages. He used to have a tape recorder in when he watched the show, and he just always recorded the bits where he turned into the Incredible Hulk. I don't know why he did that. Like, sometimes, years later, I saw like the actual series. But we just used to sit down and watch all these things that he taped about, and it was just the Hulk on a rampage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it was, I don't know why my dad did that, but he did, and that's that's the first time that I ever saw it, and I never really knew what was going on, other than I thought the whole show was just one guy on a rampage because that's <laughs> what my dad recorded, you know. Yeah, well, it sounds it sounds to me like your dad was one of the one one of these people that got into video editing. He probably had two videos side by side. He had two videos, mate. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it, it's really exciting because <laughs> like it was probably loads of people doing it back in the day, but. I thought that he might as well have had a nuclear missile in his house. It was that illegal because I was a child. 
it was like the most exciting thing ever and I, I, I had no idea how it was even possible to me as a seven-year-old it was the height of technology because no one else's dad had two videos do you know what I mean so it was like I thought it was the coolest thing ever you know? yeah it's amazing how editing's come on since then because oh, like uh, back, back then it used to take literally hours to edit something <laughs> you know be, yeah be, well I mean be, back then it was all physical wasn't it whereas yeah. now I guess it's like um, I had this really weird moment a couple of weeks ago I don't know what I was watching on Netflix but I was just thinking, God, if I wanted to watch a certain bit or something back in the day, you just have to fast forward it. And now you can just watch it in five seconds flat. You just click a button and it goes. Yeah, well, it's like a whole generation of people will never know the pains of fast forward or rewind, you know? Yep. Um, It's still fast forward, still don't go fast enough for me. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like. you know, I, I'm, I'd be watching something back on, on, on the Skybox and pushing fast forward, and it's at 30, and it's still not fast enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess people are going to know, what are we going to be discussing on this month's um, podcast? Big up, I think, a big part of it. We're going to have to be discussing the Winter Soldier and the Falcon, aren't we? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and, and the finale is due tomorrow, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Um, yeah, we have, and uh, also, um, you know, um, you know, that's going to be leading into um, into Loki as well, isn't it? But yeah, the big the Winter Soldier and Falcon, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm sorry, um, I you know, I've I've kind of enjoyed it, uh, but at the same time, it's it's um, it's been a lot more grounded um, in 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 politics than the um, than than one division was. I think. I think it's. I think you're right, mate. Um, I think. I think in a way because because of the nature of Wonder Vision, um, they could never quite recreate that, which is why I don't even know if I want to see a second series of Wonder Vision because I think some stuff you should just leave because it was so good, you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in some things that are just so brilliant, like um, Forty Towers or like the BBC series Fleabag. I think you can ruin stuff. Um, I think what I think what I, I was a bit surprised by the Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I think it's I think that in five years' time, when you look back, everything else that's going to have happened since this is going to have been a really important turning point for the next phase after like Infinity War and stuff. At the mm-hmm. moment, you can't quite. It's a bit jarring, but I feel that in the long run, when you look back on this, we'll realise how important this series was to establish how things are. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I the, the thing I found very jarring was the introduction of the new Captain America at the end of the first episode. You know, I, I saw that sat there, and, uh, and my my immediate thought at that was, "What the actual fuck?" It's almost like too much has happened in a short space of time in the series, in a way, and that's not a criticism of it. I think that um, I think that this series could could ease could have been a minimum of ten and not six. You know, I think six is is really crammed in. Um, there's been a lot crammed into this one series that I feel, you know. Yeah, but I think I think um, I think had it been ten, it might you know it might have gone the other way where where they'll sort of like treading water in certain episodes, which is a criticism I have about a lot of the uh, current TV shows. Like uh, you might find it, you know, because you've been reviewing Superman and Lois for us. And you've, yeah, you you've get, seen, you get fillers, don't you? you know? you've, you've seen the first five episodes, and uh, that's probably going to be about twenty episodes in the season. I'm guessing um, it might be less. I don't know yet. We, we don't know for sure. Um, but 
what what you do find is you'll find that you'll get an episode where it's all thinner and there's barely any story there. So what they what they revert to is they revert to going with the relationship stories and 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 stuff like that, which um, can be kind of boring. Yeah, you end up sort of um, getting like I guess stuff that's drawn out, whereas like um, at least the, the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, the writing's been tight and the tension's been there, you know. It has, and you know, and the villain's quite interesting in that because she's not really a villain. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I like the idea of the character. Um, my name for that character because of how she looks is Psycho Annie. Because I, I imagine her as like Annie, you know, like the sun will come out tomorrow, but like a really dark version of Annie. <laughs> she she does look a bit like uh, like the like the young actress that played Annie, doesn't she? She's kind yeah, of yeah. She looks like Annie's had a bad day and Annie's sort of like gone on the rampage. But um, I think it's a really good use of the character though, and I think that that's what the MCU. I don't think anyone writes villains on the screen and quite quite as well um, because they all believe they're in the right, you know, which is how a villain should be in a way, a good villain anyway. Yeah, but she, you know, she she probably is in the right. I mean, you know, what she's doing is wrong, but her reasons for doing it, you know, yeah, yeah. her country's been screwed over. You know, the people that she's trying to trying to help and save have been well re- and truly screwed over. Yeah, no, I mean, um, ab- ab- absolutely, and I think it really. Um, I don't know, you know, it, it, the MCU's also always be- what it's been really, really, really good at is that. I think that for years and years and years, loads of comic fans just wanted to see superhero stuff on screen, but things are slightly different in the comics than they are in on screen. And I think on a screen, a, a visual story, you know, and, and everything like that, for it to work well on screen, it has to have more layers than a comic because most people accept that... I'm not saying that comic worlds are two-dimensional themselves because they're not. You know, they're, they're, they're amazing worlds and they're fantastically created. But and there are certain stories that aren't like that. But for the, for the most part, you know, till recent years, comics were sort of like this happens, that happens. Superman fights, he wins, the end. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on the MCU, have realised that everything has to be complicated. You know, and, and even before you got Thanos as the bad guy and all that, you know, all, all the aftermath of, like, Sokovia, and they've always realised that you can't have this sort of world without there being fallout, you know, and, it, and it's always made it seem like it's grounded in reality rather than it's superhero stuff, you know? Yeah, well, th- th- this is a thing, though, uh, Ben. I don't don't think you quite, you know, with, with, with comics, Marvel has always been that way. You, you know, Superman's DC... And one one of the problems that DC always had was that you know its superheroes were beyond reproach sort of thing. You know, Superman fights, wins the day, the end, um, and he doesn't even break sweat while he's doing it. Whereas what what Stan Lee did with Marvel that revolutionised comics, and he did this with you know, the first time he did this was with the Fantastic Four. Um, is he made he made the um, he, he gave you um, is much about the about, about about the person behind the superhero, like Peter Parker. He's a bit of a nerd, you know, picked up on picked on by other kids by day, and he's Spider Man by night, night sort of thing. You know, he's he's white, you know, wisecracking, wisecracking sort of smart ass in in a web suit, but he's got he's got those human failings. 
Whereas yeah. uh, DC never wrote that into their comic book characters. It, it does does to some extent now, but only because Marvel started the ball rolling on that. Um, you know, Ant-Man, for example, the, the original Ant-Man in the comic was an alcoholic. Anyway, um, that's something else we wanted to discuss. We wanted to discuss Pennyworth, didn't we, you know? Yeah, well, let's move off of that on Pennyworth. But I was thinking, as soon as it was kind of like on comic books, should we just, you know, give a quick plug for Agnes? Sure, yeah. Um, just to fill in sort of like reason yourself, I think the only reason that my head went to Pennyworth is because we were talking about complex villains and my head went straight to Bet Sykes and that, you know, and, and, I, and I was going to say all these things that DC might not have gotten right in the past, they definitely have with them. Um, Thingy, but but yeah, um, yeah, did a recent you know, Adler it only came out to buy in trade paperback. Was it the first of April, I think, or something? Uh, it came out on 30th of uh, 30th of March. Um, yeah. it's uh, by Navy Tida and um, and Paul Rafferty. And basically, Adler is kind of like the league of extraordinary gentle women, and um, you know, and it's all about Irene Adler. The only woman to have a best Sherlock Holmes, and she's being assisted by Jane Eyre, um, Estella Havisham from from Great Expectations. It's got the orphan Annie in there. That's like a And and all, it's got all these famous women characters from literature, and they're fighting against the uh, the evil Aisha who's uh, come up with some sort of like death ray that she's um, sort of bullied uh, Nikola Tesla into creating for her. And it's her, her plan to take over the world. And like, Aisha's sort of like some sort of like Aztecian or... Um, I, don't know where, I don't know where she's from, but she, she, she's, she's, certain, she's certain got a nice dress sense. Mm, she's sort of like... Um, I think the closest thing that I could say to try and get people to understand, like, she's a bit like... Um, like Wonder Woman in a way, but not quite as powerful. But that that kind of um, she's that idea, isn't she? Really? Yeah, you know? she's kind of an Amazon Amazon woman, but she's she's an evil Amazon woman who's uh, well, in... anything like it's really interesting because I think is she evil? You know, and when you read about, I think what's really clever about the comic is if you read the preface. Um, that what's the guy's name again? Sorry, uh, maybe Tita. I think I'm not sure if I'm enunciating it correctly. Yeah, the author of the comic, the writer, you write about how much they love that period of literature and they're clearly very well read in sort of like mid to late Victorian literature. Um, you know, and I did quite a bit of that when I was at uni, sort of various stuff, you know, like, um, what's he called? Apocalypse Now based on what's the book called? You know what I mean? Um, I can't remember, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, Colonel Kurtz and all that. Anyway, um, what I'm talking about is the colonial element of literature and, you know, all those sorts of things. And what they've done is sort of taken the trope. It always used to be that these people were basically portrayed as sort of dark and evil and twisted because they weren't white, you know, and what it's done with, like, that character is sort of said there are going to be a hell of a lot of people who are pissed off because the British came and invaded their land, you know? Ah, uh, so basically she's broken bad because the British invaded her land and she's out She's out to get her revenge on the British. Yeah, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, of sort of like, sort of saying, basically, that's how terrorists are made, isn't it, you know? Yeah, the, re- the reason it took me a while to catch on to that is because uh, I've not actually read the trade. Um, I read it 
in its initial run. That's last right. Year. Yeah, you read you read it as it came out, didn't you? Whereas yeah. I read it in one uh, sort of thing, and you also have been reading sort of other stuff in between it and watching stuff, won't you? Whereas I read it as one complete story, you know. Yeah. So your your memory is probably a bit fresher on it. Um, I only read it about three days ago as well, you know. Well, I um, I, I read it last year when it came out in the individual issues and uh, I loved it then and I just bought the trade because I thought it'd be nice to have a physical copy of this because I buy all my comics uh, digitally because yeah. I, don't have, I don't have room for many books and stuff in my flat. Um, have you, um, have you have you got a physical copy of this one then? Yeah, I've got a physical copy of this one. I was so going to say, mate, I enjoyed it, but I, you could have had mine one if you want, because I try not to sort of... I've got so many things that I can't get rid of, you know? But, um, <laughs> but based on your like reviews, I read the first couple of... I didn't read the full reviews, because I started reading the first review, and you just seemed to really, really like it, and I thought, right, well, I don't want to read too much, I don't want to spoil it for myself, I'm going to wait, I'm going to try and read this comic, and then... When I found out it was coming out, I just got myself on Amazon and bought one, you know, and uh, didn't regret it. And uh, if anything, the only sort of like negative thing I've got to say is that I wish it was longer, you know, which is which isn't a to say it, it wasn't written, so it, it was the length it needed to be. I guess I'm just saying that because I enjoyed it so much, and I wish there was more, you know. Yeah, well, they they did leave they leave it, they left it on the suggestion that there could be a sequel. Um, I mean, how's it, uh, I imagine it's done pretty well, been pretty successful, right? You know, so I, I don't see any reason why um, we, we won't be seeing more of it. You know. Yeah, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how well it did, um, but what I do know is uh, we we took part in the blog tour for the comic last month um, with um, with Titan, uh, who who published it, and. Um, as part of that, I, I got to do a brief Q and A with with both Navy Navy Tidar and um, and and uh, and Paul Rafferty, and um, it might. I'm I'm thinking about approaching them, see if we can maybe do a podcast with them at some point. I think that'd be really cool. Possibly, yeah. To get That's a bit um, more no, background. I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's always good to meet. Um, last time we had a lot of fun, didn't we? Speaking to the ball people, you know. Yeah, we did, and um, and and the blowback people loved your uh, May the verse be with you shanty. <laughs> yeah, I went for the uh, traditional sort of like pirate themed um, version, and it's always great having people on the show because there's such a sort of um, apart from the fact that it's just good to have people with different experience and different, you know. Comic writers are just so experienced, aren't they, with everything? You know, there's not much that they don't know, really. You know. Mm. Well, you know, certainly with with, with James James Heath, uh, who who did blowback with uh, with Rhonda Smiley and um, and and the and, and the rest of the team there, uh, James and and Rhonda, uh, they they they've actually worked across uh, many things. Um, they're first and primarily TV TV writers and producers. Okay, yeah, no, you remember you saying that, yeah. So you know, but they they've kind of they've kind of. Uh, done a natural move to writing novels and comics as well so you know they, they've got they've got loads of experience um but yeah um, you know so like um if you if none of you have heard of it yet and uh tried it um you know adler's really worth you know having a look at you know if you if you like sort of like victorian steampunk style fiction you know that's it that's um yeah that's exactly what i was going to say that um you know I'm, i wouldn't say i'm into steampunk and all that i find the concept fascinating but 
I'm not someone who's like, oh my God, I love steampunk and I don't sort of like dress in a feather boa and have a penny farthing with a sort of rocket launcher on the back of it or anything. But um, but it is a cool concept and that. And I think that that aspect of turn of the century, it, it really sort of caught something where there was a massive thing with, you know, if you look at every hundred, when there's a turn of, when there's any like turn of a century, there are also, there always seems to come with it. If you ought to, whether it's, you know, it's relative to, today so like technology is relative to the time that it's in but if you look at 1700 1800 1900 there always seems to be an explosion of creativity and inventions and stuff like that and sort of new things which is often brought about by anxieties about what the future is going to bring you know it's like towards the end of a uh, toward the end of um, of 1999 everyone was frightened of y2k <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And, um, you know, I think we touched on this last time, mate, in the podcast and that. Or, but, you know, you also get, like, the rise of the superhero phenomenon, the MCU and all that. It's not an accident, you know? Like, they, they come around every sort of hundred years or so, these things, because people are unsure about the future, you know? Because mm. we were saying last time, if you look at the films from 1995 to 2000, they were all panic and disaster stuff because people were unsure. And then when everything was all right, you know? up until recently and <laughs> um, those things go away again you know yeah but if you also remember 2012 the movie remember 2012 the movie yeah. yeah yeah there was a big thing about 2012 wasn't there everyone said it was going to end and i'll tell you a little story about 2012 i was um i'm sort of glad that humanity didn't get wiped out but i was kind of a bit sad that it didn't because i was working in the call center and i thought this is the biggest letdown of all time you know i watched it sort of tick down on the computer and thought that's it, you know, this is going to be the big moment where we all just went kaboom and there I was in Witness, which is a grim place. Yeah, it was such um, an anti-climax, wasn't it? It was an anti-climax, <laughs> mate, yeah. No, I just thought, f***ing hell, you know, I thought, I've waited for this, mate, all my life, do you know what I mean? I'm, 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 I'm alive and like, I fell out with the Mayans after that, I never trusted them again. <laughs> mm, yeah, you know, basically, uh, in, in 2012, the world was meant to come to an end because it was actually the official end of the Mayan calendar, I think, think was was what it was about um but you know there's also other theories saying that it was also about certain lunar configurations that were happening up in the heavens sort of thing so it's all you know it's all, all a bit woo-woo to be honest i guess it's weird though but um i guess like obviously you you do you're old enough and i'm old enough to remember there was a genuine fear for the millennium bug though i mean that wasn't sort of like just a bit of a oh i think it was genuinely felt that that might actually happen wasn't it to the best of that mm-hmm. i remember yeah well here's the thing mate i grew up in the 70s and 80s where we're all living in perpetual fear of a nuking a bomb being set off yeah <laughs> you know, so i've lived with i've lived with uh, fear and anxiety all my life <laughs> i guess what i mean is like in 2012, it was probably 12 years later, so it was near, it was close enough to the Millennium Bug and all that for people to actually still think, yeah, maybe something big will go down. Mm. Whereas now, like, I think we've got enough problems on the planet right now with Brexit and all that other crap going on in the world, the virus and everything. That nobody's looking upwards; everyone's looking outwards now into the world, into the world. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think to be honest, because there was no 2012s or anything like that, you know, the the British political. And eats for oh we'll just create another problem and do Brexit. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know there is always that you create a problem and uh, that's one way to do stuff, isn't it? Is to create so sort of create mm. if you can create a problem and you can solve it. Yeah, problem reaction solution. You know they they create a problem, we react to it, and they solve it. <laughs> and that, 
going back to the biblical times <laughs> and the Romans, mate, that's nothing new at all, is it? You know? Nope, not really. <laughs> um, so mo- moving on, we'll go to Pennyworth now, um, which I know you're dying to talk about because you, you've um, you've just sort of, like finished watching it a few days ago. But um, second season, yeah, I, I thought um, the first season I thought was amazing. I loved it completely, and I thought, wow, and then it ended and everything like that. I don't want to say I was an anti-climax with the first episode, but I didn't really know. It took me a bit of re-getting into it, I think, you know? Yeah, the second se- the second season, by comparison to the first, was rather slow because the, all, all the characters, um, and, you know, Martha Kane, uh, Thomas Wayne, um, Alfred, they'd all kind of separated and gone their own ways. And um, I think the first half of the season was about bringing them back together, and the second half of the season was about them being able to work together to sort of like uh, do what they needed to do. Um, um, but it did did make some interesting drama. I mean, I thought I thought Gummy was an interesting character, Captain Gummiver. I thought the whole show was. Um, I thought it just offered something a little bit different. Um, I'm a big fan of sort of like the Beatles and sixties music. I love the fact that it was set in Britain as well, because let's be honest, the majority of things are set in the US, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've nothing against that. If it's a good show, it's a good show, you know? And, and Marvel and stuff like that was begun in America, so it's going to be a part of America, but I guess, like, I'm not a sort of particularly patriotic person or nationally proud. Mm. Well, dude, but, uh, um, dude, Pennyworth is DC. I know, I wasn't, I was just saying that the majority of comic world stuff generally is normally set in America, and I was just saying because of, like, because most of the comic big stuff, DC, Marvel, or whatever, we were all started in America. Mm-hmm. That's that's why. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, the I thought I thought it was a it was an interesting second season, but I don't think it was quite as strong as the first. No, I don't um, think it was quite as well. But um, I guess I was just saying I enjoyed it being set in the UK. I enjoyed this whole sort of thing about trade unionism and stuff like that. I thought that was a very clever way to go. Um, and I sort of felt that what I liked about the show was it didn't pander to this sort of like woke feeling at the moment that's going, you know what I mean? It, it, it told the story that it wanted to tell mm-hmm. um, and it found ways to represent people. For example, the, you know, Martha was a good, strong sort of female character, but it acknowledged that she was in the 60s and there were limits and it didn't, you know, whether it's right it is wrong that that happened, and it, of course it is, and the quality is, you know, crucial, vital. Um, you can't just be sort of like a little bit for it. You've got to fight for it, and you've got to have it. But if you try and tell a story and you ignore the time period that it's set in, it doesn't feel genuine. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt with those sort of things, it, um, the the characters were really good, yeah. You know? Whereas if, if a more woke writer was doing it, uh, Martha it's would like be the strongest... No, yeah, right, right here today, don't set it in the 60s then, because, you know, it, it's like, where do you sort of end stuff? Do you know what I mean? Do you write a story about slavery, pretending that people weren't enslaved? And I often think if you do that, you don't show... The people that were in the wrong in the light that they need to be shown in, you know, as well. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I, what the thing I like about Pennyworth is all the characters. You know, even e- even the characters that are on the side of good, they're all flawed. I mean, you know, Alfred, he sort of like uh, he, go, he gets into business with Gummy, who's sort of like um, a bit of a psychopathic nut job, who's sort of like taking jobs. You know, 
he's taking jobs from pretty much anyone that's offering him money, you know, iris and doesn't really have any particular moral compass as to as to what you know, as to things that he would turn down, sort of thing. Yeah, mm. I think that's right. And um, sort of something else that um, springs to mind, I was talking about Martha as a strong character. What he's really smart with doing is that in a really subtle way, basically it shows you that Batman got most of his dark traits from his mother, you know? That's mm-hmm. what I felt in the programme. And I felt that that was a really clever way to represent a strong female character. Um, not that saying that there aren't traits that he saw that he got from Thomas Wayne as well, but these sort of like self-destructive... And there was even a bit where... It virtually said that within the dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think he got you know he's he's um, he's willing to fight for social justice from his father, but you know, some, you know but he got the um, you know having to go the extra mile and sometimes do vulgar and disgusting things in order to sort of like get the job done. He probably got that part from his mother. Yeah, I mean, um, talking about characters. I knew there was a point I wanted to make, and this makes this point is also applicable to sort of Adler. What I think that both of those things have done really well is they've used characters that are these almost like real characters, like Alistair Crowley and, and, and stuff like that. And um, I can't remember the ones in Adler, that's like Tesla. They've used these characters that are in the public realm that nobody owns the rights to, and I think it's really cool when you do that within a show, you know, or within a within a comic or within a thingy or whatever, because everybody has, you know, I don't really know much about Tesla other than bits that I've seen, like he's in that film with um, Christian Bale, isn't he? And uh, yeah, Jackman. well, well, basically, Nikola Tesla, um, he he created uh, what's known as the alternating current, um, which yeah, is yeah, I mean, I, I know. Um, that's the thing other than that but I guess that in a way we normally always think we know more about someone than, than we do and then the, there's these characters that are known but who they actually were and what their lives were like isn't known and sort of like I really like that element in Adler and in Pennyworth that you have these characters that are just sort of like you know the mythos of them is used if you know what I mean yeah I mean I, I've studied I've, I've studied Tesla I've studied quite a bit about uh, about, about his life and, and stuff like that and um you know, he, he was well and truly screwed over. You know, he saw like um, he got first got screwed over by 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 Thomas Edison. You know, and then then, then he got screwed over by J P Morgan, and he basically died penniless and broke. You know, yet he invented the alternating current. He also invented the. He also invented a means that would have been able to deliver electricity to everyone free free at the point of use. Um, and uh, that's why J.P. Morgan sort of like, you know, defunded him. Because J.P. Morgan didn't want um, people to have electricity free at the point of use. Because if he couldn't put a meter on, he couldn't charge him for it, couldn't he? Um, I'm sure there's quite a few other examples of famous inventions and the inventors being screwed over and like the person who is 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 most well known for doing it isn't the actual person who did it, you know? Yeah. Quite often the person who the household name becomes the person who got the patent for it, not always the person who actually invented it, you know. Yeah, what what what, what also happened is JP Morgan got got most of the uh, Tesco's pen, uh, pe- pe- patents and um, so so he was never able to you know take take um, a lot of the stuff that he did public you know after 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 Morgan had finished finished his association with with Tesla um but it's just so like um, 
he, he was an inter- he was an interesting character. But um, one thing that's not often talked about is um, he was also he he was also into eugenic. Oh and, right, I didn't know that. I mean, that. You know more about him than me, mate. Much more, you know. You know, but you know that that's one thing that you know people people um, have not 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 sort of like um, that's not mentioned too much about Tesco, but. To be honest, um, around about that time, you know, in nineteen twenties, when when he was sort of like a, about an earlier sort of thing, even nineteen forties, eugenics was quite a fashionable subject. It was quite a fashionable topic. It was sort of the in thing, I think, at that particular point in time. When about did you say like, around about the turn of the century and that? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it was mate. Um, there's this guy I, I did it at uni. Um, there's, there's this guy who wrote a famous book about it, but there was a massive sort of explosion of sort of science of craniology and stuff like that and um, we were talking about that last time on the podcast i'm sure we were we probably were yeah yeah we were talking about like you know um phrenology i think in craniology about sort of like the way that they um sort of categorize serial killers by the shape of the head and stuff like that and all that sort of stuff you know it's all tied in with eugenics and everything you know mm-hmm. but it's this you know you know Tes- tesco was sort of like a really interesting character um you know it's interesting to read about i've actually started reading another comic um which features tesco in it um and i think it's called Bing- i think it's called minky woodcock and the girl who who electrocuted tesla or something um I, I reviewed it today on the website but it's um it's and that's um that's a really interesting comic and it, it kind of tells tesla's story from his point of view in there that's fascinating um so here's a question for you Ian. who's your favorite character on the show on pennywhere i know mine by a country mile um i think mine was um i really really liked uh lord hayward right okay interesting um you know not not because not I didn't don't don't agree with his politics. No, but as a character, like, that's the thing, isn't it? And people are char- very frightened these days to sort of say anything. It's like Jesus is evil, but a good character is a good character, you know. But I, as a character, I found him quite compelling. I also uh, I, I also like Bet Sykes. Um, Absolute favourite, mate. You know, I, I liked a lot of the characters. I love the out character of Pennyworth. I think Jack Bannon does an amazing job. I love Dave Boy. I like loads of the characters, but. I think my favourite thing about the show, if I started disliking the show for some reason, if they had a third season, I didn't. As long as she was in it, I would watch it. I love that character that much. I think just a great, great, great complex character, you know, and, mm. and it, it really gets across that sort of like. Um, and and thing. also, who know Pangoma Faith could act? Who knew? Not me, mate. I mean, I'm not like. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I've, I've never really listened to any of the music. It's not really my cup of tea or all that, but I don't know. I just think, wow, what an amazing sort of... Um, it's like watching a psycho version of a Coronation Street character. It is. It's, 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 it, could, it could almost be Ilder Ogden, the younger years. It could be. You know, you know, Bet Sykes butchers a guy to death with a rolling pin. (laughs) But I think the bit that really gets you is that there really is that sort of like damaged childness underneath, you know, that she really gets across really, 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 really well. Mm -hmm. And you you sense that she doesn't really want to be this person going around hurting people. But on the other hand, you know, (laughs) she's pretty brutal and pretty dangerous, you know. Oh, I I, I just thought it was so, so funny, you know, that that her her sister Peg is running a sex shop. (laughs) 
in, in, in yeah, with the guy that's like and, no one knew him, so they just made him a permanent. Gimmick, yeah, the, the, the guy that knew him, made, he made him. You know, they, they made him a permanent sort of like a uh, living mannequin in the window, dressed in a gimp suit. <laughs> I guess it's. Uh, I guess he got all those things right as well, and and, and I also feel like um, as I was watching it, and I knew that you know we, we you know we'd be talking about Pennyworth. Like there was things going around as I was watching the series. I thought I'd like to mention this on the podcast. I felt like um, I don't know if you've ever read James Joyce's Dubliner stories. Uh, no, I haven't, but I've heard of them. Now. Anyway, anyway, in those stories, like what you tend to find is like um, that he makes like the city of Dublin almost like a character itself. And I felt in this show, the city of London and the 60s and, the, and this alternate history version of it, that was what worked so, 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 so well that it was almost like the setting and the place was almost a character itself in the show. Mm. And there were so many good examples of it, you know. Did you notice the, um, of course you did, Ian, did you... You notice the Easter egg to the original Batmobile as well. Yep, I, I noticed that. And uh, the funny thing is, I remember reviewing that episode and I didn't mention it in my review. It just slipped my mind, like. It, it, it kind of slipped my mind because I was rushing to get the review out, um, as, as, as you often do. And he even grabbed a picture of it as well, which I was going to use in the review. But then I thought, I've not mentioned it now, so there's no point. <laughs> so, and I'd published it. I'd actually, you know, scheduled the article. Uh, but one of my favourite moments from this season, I think it was in the episode Bloody Mary. And it's when the, um, it's, it's when the, 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 um, the, the villains, what are they called now? The, the, the Raven Society. Raven Union. Yeah, yeah the Raven Union. Well, it was Raven Society in the first season, wasn't it? In Sorry, the, yeah. Raven Union. Well, they, the, 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 a few of those mem- their members go into, um, Alfred's club and they start singing the, the Raven Union song, which is, uh, which is basically a, a classic, classic old, uh, old English sort of like hymn sort of thing to start singing it. And, um, and then, then the, um, then, then the lounge singer that, that Alfred's been involved with gets up on stage and starts singing. Oh, I can't remember what it was she sing. Was it We Meet Again or something? She did sing that, yeah, the Vera Lynn tune, yeah. Yeah, was it, was it the Vera Lynn tune that she sang in, in count, count, to counteract that? I can't remember. I think it was a different song. But she started singing anyway, and all the patrons in, in the club started singing along with her and drowned out the Raven Society. And I thought, that is just basically the power of, of, of that that music can have in in a revolutionary sort of like sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's a really sort of smart um, sort of thing, and um, I don't know what whether I, I was I worked for the civil service for six years, and I was a trade union officer, and I did sort of like an MVQ in it, funded by the. I know I was I was a trade union rep, rep for like six years, so you know I was quite sort of like heavily involved in it, and I went to a lot of meetings and stuff like that, and all those songs and stuff. They, they do sing a lot of those songs now, you know. It is a sort of a subculture within them, you know. Mm-hmm. There is almost that um, within sort of like I don't know, I guess sort of socialist left wing left wing leading people. Um, it, it sort of does have its own sort of subculture and um, 
It just was a good use of making sort of like that war spirit, wasn't it? You know, it was. Um, I just, I just thought it was just so like that. That that scene was a, uh, you know, if there's one takeaway from 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 um. From from the series, um, I think I think that scene's it, really. You know, shows shows the power of sort of like uh, of, of 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 music when when used in in sort of like a revolutionary sort of sense. You know, and, um, yeah, that the ability for it to um, sort of it's like football chants, isn't it, and everything like that. You know, it's that um, strength in numbers, sort of like um, it's almost like it's that true strength of unity, isn't it? Yep, and, and also it's like that. Um, you know, right through through. You know, like if you look at like the, the Nazis, and that's sort of like part of the reason the Nazis were able to come to power is because Hitler realised all those things and tapped into them in a way that nobody else had. He realised that if you can whip up a frenzy like that, you know, um, Dionysus is actually the god of revelry. You mm-hmm. know, in sort of Greek mythology. And that includes being the god of not only music, but a specific kind of music. And it is a music where he sort of leapt up from the earth and played this fiddle. You know, like that um, song, The Devil Came From Georgia. Have you ever heard that? Yep. Um, I, yeah, I love that song. Yeah, there's that sort of thing. of um, There is a sort of kind of a certain music that's, you know, classical music plays on it heavily when you have like sort of like frenzied. And it's kind of like the... The um, it is sort of like the it's where like heavy metal music basically stems from, you know. It's that sort of like satanic type of like indulgence in the dark side of stuff, you know. Mm, I, th- I think heavy metal was more a reaction to punk, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but I just mean like I guess like um, I guess as a subculture or as sort of like a part of it, you know. There's that. Um, I guess like what I mean is that music represents everything on the human spectrum of emotion you know for every sort of emotion there is a sound mm-hmm, exactly um so yep Pen- pennyworth um second season um you know i think epics did a good job of it um and i think think out of um if it's a market out of five for this season i'd probably go with um, a four i guess yeah, I'd be sort of happy with that, mate. That's like what, so eighty out of hundred, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. Um, I don't want to say. I think disappointed is too strong a word, but I just felt a bit like the very last episode. I just thought, oh right, is that it then? I didn't. I was a bit underwhelmed with it, almost. You know, owing how much I loved the series and how much I loved everything that had happened. I don't want to drop any spoilers. You know. Yeah, you kind you kind of wanted to see one side or the other win. Didn't you? Given I just that thought, been... like, I got the feeling that if there isn't a third series and that's it, then it, is that that's it? You know, it's um, I don't know. I just felt I felt like the finale for the first series was amazing, and it was like wow, it literally was like oh my god, that's incredible, and everything else was brilliant in this series in terms of the way that they got to where they were going, all the twists and turns and the surprises and everything like that. I loved it all, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was really well written, and I just felt like it felt like the writers had rushed the last half an hour. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I can't, I can't, kind of agree with you, but I kind of wanted to see see something more happen than than than, than them just um, fighting each other at the end, and and Alfred managing to get the upper hand for the moment, sort of thing. Um, it just felt like a bit of a pop out. I don't know. I just felt like um, I felt like I felt a bit flat, and I felt like I really enjoyed the series, and I sort of like watched all ten 
episodes and I didn't feel it was a big enough payoff for watching all that you know yeah well ho- hopefully 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 the next season if it if there is one will be better should be but it, but overall it's definitely one of the things that one of the series that I've enjoyed the most anyway mm-hmm. you know and um, I think it's a really good series with good you know some good writing good sense of humour in it as well I think I think that's something else that I wanted to mention is that there's some really clever funny bits in it you know yeah you know I, th- I think he's mo- I think Alfred's mum's funny yeah she's a brilliant character you know yeah. she just really does sort of like um, she sort of really does epitomise that sort of like that working class English grit of just getting on with stuff yeah just keep buggering on us Churchill you say <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You know, um, but you know, mo- moving on, um, I, I I want to talk about um, another show that I've recently found. Um, I've been aware of it for a while, but what happened is recently, and I think you like this show as well. Um, I found I, I got a seven day trial on Apple Plus because I was curious about it, and um, and as a result of um, I've, I've, I've surpassed my seven days because I started binge watching the show over a couple of nights and just got into it. So. They've got four ninety nine out of me, but you know I'm probably going to cancel because there's not enough on there to keep me interested, to be honest. But this show is called For All Mankind, and it's a base, it's an American science fiction TV series written and created by Ron D. Moore, um, and it's basically an alternative history of the U.S. space program um, and and the, um, the, the 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 space race between. Uh, the USA and the USSR, and it starts in 1969 with um, with, with with Russia getting the first man on the moon. So it sort of mixes stuff up a bit, then. It mixes stuff up a lot. Um, Russia apparently gets the first man on the moon. I mean, Russians in the, in the actual space race were the first to go into space. They actually beat yeah. the Americans by about a month and a half, I think. Yuri Gagarin won it, I think. Yeah, uh, who visit? Who actually visited Stratford? In the late, in 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 the um, in the early sixties, um, you know, as a um, and was greeted in Stratford. Um, but um, he, uh, you know, in in this, the 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 Russians go to the moon, um, and they get there about 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 um, a month and a half before Neil Armstrong does, and then they do it again in you know. Um, a few, you know, after after Neil Armstrong's moon mission, the Russians sent the first woman to the moon in in nineteen sixty nine, and the first series um, follows the, the 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 space race during the seventies, and they 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 form a moon base, um, the Americans form a moon base on there called Jamestown, which is obviously a tip of hat tip of a hat to the British colony that 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 was set up in the states, in you know in in the. Uh, in, late 1600s i think it was and um and they you know it's it's kind of like tit for tat and you got alternative versions of history like reagan's reagan's in it but in this in this version of history reagan gets the presidency in 1976 instead of getting it in 1988 instead of getting it in 1980 or 1979 i think it was he won it he's just started his term as president in 1980 um and uh, before before Reagan's president, one one of the uh, one of the Carter brothers' is president, no, not Carter, one of the Kennedy brothers' is president. I think it's Teddy Kennedy that that becomes president. And uh, famously, Ted, Teddy never ran for president. Um, he remained a senator for pretty much most of his life uh, because he'd seen he'd seen his he'd seen his two brothers get assassinated. One one because he was president, and the other one because he was running. Sort of thing. But it's just um, it's it's really interesting the, the the politics of it and the you know 
the 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 uh, the use of some of the characters, like for example, there's a character in there called uh, called Molly Cobb, who who becomes the first woman to go into space. Um, Molly Cobb is actually based on. Um, an actual person who's called Jerry Cobb, who who was one of um one one of a group of women called the Mercury Thirteen, um because in the mid sixties the the in the mid mid sixties sixties I think it was it might have been late fifties um no it was mid sixties they the the Americans were toying with the idea of sending women in space uh but it kind of got vetoed and and um and 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 the program was scrapped. And uh, one of the test pilots, she was kind of like the leader of it, and the person that track that was pulling for it the most was called Jerry Cobb, and she was she was a pilot. But you know, it uses it's it's another one where it uses you know real life characters, or you know, as well as a as well as sort of like creating characters that are based on real life characters, and and showing 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 how they they might have gone. Had, had yeah, circumstances, before, isn't it? That sort of thing. Had circumstances been different, and it's a really, really good show. The last episode of of the second season, I think, is going to be on Friday. And what's happened? It's now in the eighties um, at some point, and um, there's been an incident in space where the the Americans have uh, opened fire on um, Russians on the moon and killed a Russian Russian cosmonaut and um, um, injured another Russian cosmonaut and they've sort of like uh, they've had him in, in, in their base and you know the back and forth with Russian authorities because it's a big inter- international incident anyway it turns out the, that the Russian astronaut that they injured wants to defect to the USA oh, right. sort of thing so it's, 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 it's really interesting it's got all the politics in it and of, of, of the time but it's sort of like through kind of a, a different lens, if you will, of of uh, how things could have went had 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 the Russians had had a better head start on in, in the space race than 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 the, than the Americans seem to get sort of thing. So I've quite enjoyed that, and there's there's you know there's twenty episodes of it now. You know, with the episode that airs tomorrow, it'll be twenty episodes of it. I guess it's like the other big one that people normally do is what if the Nazis won the war, isn't it? It's that kind of element, it's sort of slightly. The same kind of concept as that, but but using like the space race and using the Cold War instead. It is, but I think the plan of it is is um, they did the uh, they did the late 60s and 70s in 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 the first season. The second season was sort of like late seventies, early eighties. Um, I think the um, the next season, season three, will probably be going into the nineties. And um, I think the thing the plan is, is is to take it each decade at a time. Till we get to the present day, sort of thing. But I've really enjoyed it. It's a good show. What's it called again, sorry? It's called For All Mankind. For All Mankind, right? Anyone well known in it? Or? Um, uh, jo- an actor called Joe Kinnaman. Um, I think his name is. Um, he- he's one of the main main, main characters. Um, in it, and and he seems to have been the uh, the lead for the first for the first two seasons. Uh, Michael Dorman, Sarah Jones, Chantel Van Van Santen, Jodie Balfour, uh, Ren Smith, uh, Sonia Walga. Uh, Sonia Sonia Walga was uh, she's been in all sorts of stuff. Is uh, this made specifically for Apple TV? Is it? Yeah, it's made. It's made by Sony, but it's made specifically for Apple TV. Because it's quite a small. It must be. It doesn't. Mustn't have a big sort of like viewership then in comparison to the others. I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing is, Apple TV. It's not. It's not got very much of its own original content. It's got about eight or nine, ten TV series, mm. 
and uh, and a few films and and that's it and that's all you're getting for when you're paying for the Apple TV Plus plan. So that's why I'm that's why I'm probably going to cancel it because after after this series ends because there's not enough really to keep me there. It's not got yeah, his, mostly it's, it's just a platform, isn't it, for everyone else to show yeah. the stuff that they own. It's not got it's not got as much as Disney or Netflix or <laughs> or Prime. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna throw a curveball out there, Ian. Okay. It's not um, sort of like sci-fi related or anything like that, but um, I'm sure it's been fitting with the ethos of a lot of our viewers. So we've discussed um, the Mighty Ducks game changers that we've both been like non-guiltily enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, Mighty Ducks is kind of sci-fi because, you know... Um... <laughs> I love it when you do this, Ian. It's my favourite thing when you find a way. When, when I absolutely I, love it, mate. When, 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 when I try to find a way to justify like, something that's not sci-fi. I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it's fantastical because, you know, I don't know, things are like as it happened, but I guess the way I look at it is that, you know, it might not be sci-fi or fantasy, but... Certainly, a lot of people who grew up in the nineties and stuff like that—it it belongs to a certain sort of like zeitgeist and a certain feeling. Yeah. Well, are you and ready? The comics of it and stuff weren't there even in the nineties and that. You know, it's had comic books on it and stuff. My ducks. They did an animated show of it as well, which lasted for one season. But do you want to hear my justification for why it should sure, be sci-fi? Always, yeah, always. Yeah, it's sci-fi because human beings were not designed to skate. Nope, we're aliens. I think that people that can skate are from a different world. <laughs> so there you go. There's my justification. But yeah, it's it's a nice bit of nostalgia, and I think it's been brought back in a clever way. I think the, the, the nearest show to sort of think to like compare elements of it to for me um, has been maybe like Cobra Kai and stuff like that, because there was this really cool bit in it where sort of like the mum was saying, um, and you and I have discussed this actually, completely separate to any TV, just in real life. She was saying everybody gets a trophy for taking part and all that. I hate and, that. Um, you know, Gordon Bombay came in and just said, what on earth are you teaching these kids, you know? Yeah, I hate that mentality as everyone gets a trophy for taking part. And the reason I hate that mentality for it is because... Yeah, whether it's right or wrong, we live in a meritocracy, don't we? Yeah. You know? The thing is, I, I was an athlete back in the day. I, I did a lot of sports and, and stuff like that. Um, and I was lucky enough to finish first and second and third and, and, and in places where, where, where I would actually win medals and stuff like that. But for, for quite a long time before I actually started winning stuff, I was losing stuff. I was finishing last. And I think you got I think you got to start from the bottom. you got to sort of like work your way up, you know, where it's sort of like just, just getting something for taking part, you know. I think it's like, um, you know, let, let's be honest, you know, there's that sort of like famous speech and part of the reason that Rocky was such an amazing film is because there was so much human truth in it, you know? And again, like, you know, human Rocky's not like sci-fi, but I, I would almost call it a fantasy film based on the boxing matches that people would have been dead by round four because we all know that, you know, even the most brutal boxing matches of the 60s with like Foreman and Ali, they weren't like those ones. You know, no human being could take that without dying. Um, but the, the bare knuckle boxing fights before it became regulated probably were like those ones. People, the point is, people <laughs> did die in those, didn't they? Frequently. Um, um, but what I'm saying is that what he says in those films is that the world is a truly can be a truly cruel place, and life is hard, 
and you're going to get knocked down, you know, people that you love are going to die and get cancer and all sorts of horrible shit, you know, and you're going to have a good job and you're going to love it and the company's going to fold and you're going to have to find a way to fight back. And if you start thinking that the world owes you something and that life has to be fair, you're not going to survive, you know? Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's not about how, how often you get knocked down, it's about how often you can keep, you know, keep getting up and keep fighting. That's it, you know, you know and... I think for people that are, you know, people that are younger than me today, I'm only 38, so 25, it's a harder life now for a lot of young people than it ever has been, you know, in, in terms of jobs, in terms of the housing market. Well, I don't know what that's like worldwide. I don't know much about the US. So, guys, forgive me for saying that. I'm, I'm basing this on the UK. Uh, from the UK. It's probably worse in the US, mate. It's probably worse, yeah. You know, I have got friends who are American. But what I'm saying is, I don't want to generalise. I'm aware that, you know, I... I I'm basing what I'm saying on my own experience of the UK, but more than ever now, we need to build resilience and we need to sort of understand that if you want something out of life, unfortunately, you know, if you were born and you weren't born with wealthy parents or, you know, you're not sort of neurotypical or, you know, there are definite advantages to being white and all these things that we know, but if you spend your whole life screaming at what's not fair, you're never going to get on. There comes a point where you have to accept the cards you've been dealt and fight and make something of yourself, you know, and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, set up a website, do whatever. <laughs> do something, mate, yeah, you know, it's um, you've just got to, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I've, I've, re- I've been really enjoying it, to be honest with you, and I think I, I tend to like really sort of like intense drama and sort of like really cerebral kind of programmes and it's refreshing for me on a Friday to be able to watch a show that I don't have to think a lot about well, and I can just enjoy and laugh at, you know? And, and, it, and to be honest, mate, it's a much better show than I thought it was going to be, you know? I, I think that, you know, it's never going to win any awards for writing. I don't think it's, like, sensational. But I think it's a fun show and I think it's well-written and I think in many ways it's sort of relevant. Well, there's another one just started as well. It's a night dramedy, night comedy drama. Um, and it's John Stamos, who used to be in Freeze Company. Was it Freeze Company? Or I can't remember what it was. He, uh, you know, he, he was in a sit- big sitcom in the 90s and they did a, did a, did a, did a sequel not to it. Like Seinfeld, not, maybe not, not Seinfeld, but that sort of thing. Like. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was he, he Basically, he, he was one of two dads looking after looking after their daughters and they lived together. Uh, Full House, it was called. And um, it's John Stamos from Full House and um, he's basically an NBA basketball cow- coach he throws a chair at an umpire and uh, it gets thrown out of the NBA and, um, you know, pretty much disowned. And he's trying to trying to build his career back up. And as part of it, his agent sends him to a private girls school to coach a girls basketball team. And, right. and it's called Big Shots, I think. It's on, um, it's on it's a new one on Disney that's just started. And I think it's called oh, Big right, Shots. Well, that, that, that's another interesting sci-fi drama for you to watch. Right, right. And, and it's sci-fi drama because basketballs were not, not, not made to be treated in, 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 you know, in, in such delicate ways. Yeah, we're going to use the, um, the physics of the aerodynamic design of basketballs to justify why it's um, sci-fi. Eh? Yeah, how, well, how, I mean, do you, thing is, how do you like, get such a big ball in such a small net? <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because I think normally, like science fiction... It's quite a narrow category in terms of if what's categor- what's categorizable by it. Not always, you know. But I would argue that like fantasy is a much wider scope and thing. And I do think that 
there's more stuff that can fade to fantasy than you know, and it doesn't have to be like like you and I were discussing and um, in the Christmas article, things like the Die Hard movie. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm with you. I think it, it sort of does border on fantasy because there's no fantastical elements in it, but it sort of plays with the likelihood of one person being able to take down all those people. You know? Yeah, or the likelihood of that person being able to take down all those people and find himself in those sort of like situations. Um, enough to justify them making five movies out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's suspension of disbelief, isn't it, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, so talking about fantasy, there's another show, and I think this one starts on Netflix tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, um, um, if not the 26th. I'm not sure when it starts. It's called Shadow and Bone, and it's a new it's a new fantasy thing that's coming out. Um, almost like Penny Dreadful type of thing, I don't, I don't know. It's all bit. It's kind of been compared to Game of Thrones and um, and The Witcher, um, and basically, uh, it's. And it says, I basically read. I read read what it says in this article. It says, as you might have guessed, this is a long winded way of saying that the odds were stacked against Shadow and Bone succeeding, particularly when you consider the huge fandom waiting to pick, pick this show apart in comparison to, to the books. So it's based on a book series called Shadow and Bone. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. Um, and it's, um, it looks interesting from the trailer, um, but I've no idea what it's about yet. But it does look very interesting from the trailer. And it's, it, it just looks like another interesting world to play in. And I think the first season's eight episodes, and they're all going to drop tomorrow, I think. Um, yeah, I swear I struggle with stuff to watch it all, all at once. I, I, I like um, I think this thing that we were chatting about earlier on, it might have even been before you hit play on the uh, podcast, but we touched on it before, on whether we, we like things that are um, shows to be released all at once or week by week. I think because I grew up with things being on every week, it, it gives me sort of like a sense of nostalgia as well and something to look forward to rather than just watching it all at once, you know? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, um, it was okay when there was, when, when there was barely anything gone to, to be able to binge watch something. Um, but now there's so many choices and so many, so many things out there in, in, on Netflix now to, and, and, and Amazon and you've got Disney as well. But um, I, I, think the, I think the binge model is like, it's wearing a bit thin with me now because there's no way that I can keep up with so many of these new things that are dropping. No, I mean, and, um, something else that I, I have like mixed views about there being so many things that are getting made and released. And I guess like in one way, I think there's too much and it's not good. But another part of me thinks it really means that if something's going to be amazing, it really makes the writers have to work extra hard, you know? Mm-hmm. So and the good bits and bad bits, I guess, things are not simple, are they? And also, Sh- Shadow and Bone, um, whatever it's called, it, it does, look, does look interesting, but, you know, um, but, but they're already comparing it with Game of Thrones and Witcher, you know, right away. Which I think is kind of unfair. Yeah, it's like sort of setting them to fail before it's gone. And it, you know, because how, how are they going to make the next Game of Thrones? You know, the first few seasons of Game of Thrones were excellent. The last three were bloody horrible. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I personally, except for the very end of it, I thought the whole series was amazing. There was bits of it that were like a bit drawn out when he's on the wall for like a whole season and everything like that. But I loved sort of almost all of it except for the last few episodes. Yeah. No, I thought it was, I thought it was that good that it was, it was, it was 
way beyond almost anything else that was written that yeah. was on at the time. It was it was like not just above it, but nothing got close to it. Um, and something else that I think about Game of Thrones, I was talking to my housemate about this, is that show is an era-defining show because I don't think that there will ever be another show on Sky One now that the streaming model is what it is. I think that's the last show that people will ever buy, ever have bought DVD box sets off, you know? Yeah, Sky Atlantic it was on. Yeah, but I think like when the streaming model, when that started, because don't forget, it, it, it ran for like 10 years nearly, didn't it, with season breaks and everything, you know? Um because yeah. it was seven seasons so it started probably... in I think the first season came out and dropped in 2011 because I remember being sent the press pack for it from Sky and um, it was probably one of the last physical press packs I was actually sent yeah um, it was probably only ended two years ago didn't it something like that yeah um, but you know very quickly before we go there's a new show starting on Sky pretty soon it starts on the 30th of April I think it's called um, it's called Intergalactic oh right okay and it's um it's but it's centers on um, it's set in near future and it centers on a young woman. She's um, a police officer and a pilot, and um, she gets she gets taken down for treason or something, or accused of a crime she don't, she didn't commit, and she's sent to a prison colony. Um, and as she's on her way to this prison colony, um, and she she gets involved in in a breakout with a with with, with a gang and ends up running with this gang, and this gang leader's looking for a, a free planet called Arcadia. And, you know, it's about things that happen along the way, I guess. It's only eight episodes, and it's going to drop all at once on Sky, um, on, on the Now model, but it will be airing weekly as well. So that, that's going to drop at the end, end, of, end of the month on Sky. So that's another right, new show. Sounds quite exciting, right? Yeah, it, it sounds interesting. And, um, you know, it's got... Um, it's got I can't remember her name, but uh, she she's in it for the 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 young woman from Bendit Knight Beckham, you know the one that oh, played the one that played Jess, the uh, the um, Indian footballer. In yeah, Bendit no, Knight no, Beckham. yeah, I remember the person who you mean. Yeah, I, I can't quite think of the name either. I, I think but, um, I think first name's Parminda or something. But I can't that's remember. right. Yeah. But she she plays the young woman's mother. And she's kind of, and she's kind of like in a very high position. She's sort of like the head of security um, of of this uh, common government that Earth's got. And the 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 actress playing the um, playing the young woman, she's a newcomer. I can't can't remember her name off the top of my head. But that that starts at the end end of the month on Sky Sky One. I guess the other thing that I forgot that we should have spoken about there on this podcast is. Um we didn't speak about Star Trek news, did we? We didn't. You know that season three is coming towards the end of this year. Yeah, and also that um, season four, sorry, <laughs> and also about the about the, the um, second season of uh, Lower Decks as well. Did you ever finish Lower Decks? Ian? Nope, just not got around to it. I, I just can't bring myself to do it, you know, because um, I I don't I just don't I, you know it's kind of like it's two Simpsons like for me and uh, Family Guy, and I'm not really into that sort of animation, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and 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 just not really I can't really see. I think Star Trek, when it does comedy, it does comedy best when it's actually doing comedy as part of its usual straightness. You know, right, like, like for example, the, Data, Data's Day. Yeah, stuff well, like, like that. it's contained to the holodeck or something, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas um, a comedy animated show about it, I just can't bring myself to do it. It's all like it's, I mean, it's enough of a jump for me to, to actually be, be watching and discussing Discovery uh, because I still don't think it's anywhere near 
as good as the as as the original series era, the TNG no, it's era. Made, it made leaps and bounds, but it's still for me, it doesn't deserve mentioning in the same breath as other series. You know, per, like personally, everyone has their own opinions and stuff like that, and I know that I'll probably be arrested by the vote police just for saying that. You know, which is why I don't say stuff online or anything like. That. I don't want an online presence, um, but. I just don't think the writing is anywhere near as good as it was for, you know... Um, I mean, I'm happy to admit that, like, the third and final season of the original series, that had some pretty bad episodes as well. And that sort of wasn't amazing. But there were enough truly sensational episodes in the first couple of seasons to make up for that, you know? Yo, the, the interesting thing about the third and final season of, Star, of the original series of Star Trek is everyone acknowledges that it was really bad. Um, and it was because of the uh, replacement of Gene Kuhn. Um, Gene Kuhn left it and Fred Freiberger took it over. And pretty much everything that Fred Freiberger touched sort of like turned to dust. <laughs> it was sort of like the kiss of death to, to, to franchises. Because uh, the same happened to Space 1999. Jerry Anderson oversaw the first season and he, he took a step back in the second season and Fred Freiberger took it over. <laughs> And then that show tanked. <laughs> yeah, there was still one or two good ones, you know. But um, I guess it's weird because I'd set myself up to say I don't even entertain the idea of Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, but then, you know, when I agreed to review it and watched it, I didn't hate it, you know. And put it this way, I enjoyed that more than I did most of the first episodes of first two series of, of Discovery. <laughs> 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 to be perfectly honest, but... I guess, like, when you're reviewing something... So, so Lower Decks was Shakespeare in comparison to Discovery. <laughs> oh, mate, it was... Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... Um, I think when you're watching something, and it's especially something that you're really, really, really passionate about, like Star Trek, and you're really, you know, like, emotionally attached to through nostalgia and everything else like that, there does come a point where you have to watch it for what it is on its own terms. And I wouldn't expect anyone to read my reviews if all I ever wrote was, this is rubbish because it's not this, because it's not that. Because at the end of the day, if you're reviewing something, you might as well not write the review if that's all you're going to write. Once I came to terms with what the show was, for what it tried to do, it did a very good job of it in parts. And I couldn't deny that, you know? Well, here's a funny thing, mate. They, they did, a, they did a, a television series of Flash Garden the sci-fi channel back in 2009. And I never saw it, though, no, but I remember you saying that. Like, I, we I reviewed it, and pretty much every review I wrote about that show was absolutely bloody terrible because yeah. the, the production values on it were cheap. They, 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 um, the writing just didn't respect the characters and the ethos of Smash Garden. Um, the guy that played Ming was a piece of wood. You know, I'd see more personality in, um, in Tree Bark, frankly. But the... Um, but every review I wrote about it was really, really negative. I couldn't really say anything good about it. And I couldn't even accept it for what it was because it was just crap. <laughs> so, so That's it, isn't it? It's like, so every... it comes to terms with the fact that it's not the 1980s movie, not the 1980 movie, all those things. It's like, all right, fair enough, I can sort of handle all that. But then, like, when you just go generally, when there's nothing good to say about the show, there's nothing good to say about it, is there? You know, no, I reviewed the first three episodes of it and then I stopped. But the, uh, the, the, the those reviews that I wrote are no longer on the site because the uh, we 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 had a problem with the database and the database got corrupted. Um, um, so we ended up having to start a fresh database over. So 
as a result of that, when my soul's reviews, but those reviews of Flash Gordon that I did, the TV series, some of the most commented on reviews I'd ever done. Because basically, I had a load of people that were also Flash Gordon fans from, from my generation and even from newer generation of fans that agreed with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, you know, I think, like, um, it's such an iconic thing. And yes, like, most of my knowledge of it is down to the Sam J. Jones movie of 1980 and all that. But, you know, like, there's been loads of stuff, hasn't there, in between? There's been loads of comics of Flash Gordon, hasn't there? And there is, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't mind if the show does something different as long as it's good. Mm. I mean, you know, they they casted they cast the white guy as Ming, and they, and they kept him as as white sort of thing. Whereas in the previous ones, they 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 cast a, a white guy and made him look to look a look a bit Asian sort of thing. Because Flash yeah. Gordon was made in 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 a time where there was still a lot of bigotry and uh, prejudice towards Japanese, Chinese, and Asian people sort of thing. So 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 the, every every villain in in the sci-fi or whatever. Was on occasion, and I thought, well, why did you cast? Why did you cast him as a white guy and have him playing white? Why not just actually cast an Asian guy and to, to counterbalance in it, cast cast another Asian guy that's on 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 Flash's side, you know, make Baron Asian or something, and that way you're going to get the the equality, and you're going to get the 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 yin and the yang of it, you know, as in the good and the bad. And I guess it's, I guess it's like. It's bad enough if you're going to have a character that isn't white and sort of, like, portray them as a stereotypical villain almost because they're not white and use sort of, like, othering and sort of, like, a colonial attitude. That's bad enough. But if you're going to do that but use a white person and make them appear to be something or not, that's something else. That's even worse, you know? But, you know, it just didn't work because the guy that they cast as Ming, you know, just couldn't pull me off. He, you know, he, he wasn't intimidating. He, you know, he's like, he wasn't really, you know, he didn't really care. I mean, like, he's not, despite what I was saying earlier on about sort of like um, complex villains, Ming has never been complex. Ming is just an evil being, isn't he? He wants to destroy stuff. M- Ming's, just, Ming's just a f- freaking psycho, you know? Like, yeah, basically, you know, yeah. He's just a, a sort of like complete and total power monger, isn't he? Yeah, it's exactly like, it's exactly how Sam Jones... You know, said it. You know, this guy's a psycho, and 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 that's what Ming is. He's a he's a psychopath. He he he's about he's all about conquest and ruining all the planets, and you know, and and every, everyone's around to service him and his needs. He's basically would have been a fantastic general for the British Empire, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they actually based him on on on, on some some general for the British Empire. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, mate. Really, no, not at all, though. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I bet you Boris Johnson has Ming's autobiography stashed away under his under his pillow or something. You know, but, I mean, I suppose, like, to be to be to be fair, like, there is an argument to say that maybe it was unnecessary to make Max von Sydow appear sort of slightly Oriental looking, but you know, it was 1980, and that's 40 years ago. Yeah, well, you know, they're still they're still using you know they're still using blackface in nineteen eighty as well. I think that's what I'm saying. So it's it's wrong and stuff like that. Of course it is, but you know it's. Um, but at the end of the day, he was a terrifying villain, you know, and he was convincing. Mm. But you know the you know the 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 thing is you know they they could have they could have cast an Asian actor to to do Ming, you know if they if they wanted to sort of like 
do the representation thing and stop someone being made up to look like him. And and they could do that now, and I hope that they do do that now in 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 the film that they've been planning to make of Flash Garden for the past twenty years. I think the thing the thing is that they got right though in that film is before any other thing, before any thoughts of representation or whatever, they wanted somebody who had presence first and foremost, and everything else was in as well as. And and really, that's how it should be for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's another film I I I watch from the eighties. I'm quite fond of. It's called Remo Unarmed and Dangerous, and it's not. It wasn't a big blockbuster or anything like that. It was a. It was basically a small film, and it's based on it's based on a book series. Um, that that was around um, a series of pulp sort of like novels, and uh, basically Remo was this character that can dodge bullets and stuff like that, uh, using this ancient Korean martial art. And he's trained by a by by a crane uh, master in this thing, and in the film, uh, the crane master and this was the film was made in nineteen eighty four and nineteen eighty five. I think the 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 crane the crane guy is actually played by 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 an American white guy who's made up to look crane, and he he's good in it. But you know, again, it would I think it would have. You know, would have been better if they'd actually got a crane actor to do it, and there probably would have been plenty of crane actors around back then that could have done it. You know, just as there are now. You know, and we're not quite there with like we're a long way from being there with representation yet. But I think um, back in the day, the producers of films felt that audiences aren't comfortable with seeing anyone other than as white. But what actually proved to be the point was the only way, the only way they ever became comfortable is when people took the decision to actually start to incorporate people that weren't white, you know? So, and that, defe- that defeated the argument of going, well, they're never going to be, they're never going to feel comfortable with it if all you ever do is put people that are white in stuff, you know? It's, it's come a long way. It's come a very long way. And a great example of it is, um, you know, you probably noticed that I've been reviewing Kung Fu. Yeah, I've, new, I've not watched it yet myself. New yeah. series. Well, the, both the new series and the old series of Kung Fu is sci-fi because it had... You know elements of Chinese mysticism in it, and what and, Shang Chi is going to be like that yeah. sort of thing. And um, in Kung Fu, it's you know she's actually Chinese, Chinese American. She's got a Chinese American family, and pretty much most of the characters in that show are Chinese American. There's you know very few, there's very few white people in that show, and very few black people. It's mostly centered around her, her family, uh, the 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 mysticism of the. Of of the of the weapons that the uh, villain, who's also Chinese American, is after, and it's a it, it's a really it's a really good boon for for Chinese American representation on 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 a, on, on a mainstream television show, and it's it's actually I, I'm actually really enjoying it. And oh, that, okay. And that's I, week to week, is it? Yeah, it's a week week to week one, and it's actually um it's it, it's it's based on it's basically um. The, 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 the original Kung Fu was David Carradine and the original Kung Fu had some of the worst martial arts scenes um, ever filmed. Yeah. They're, they're probably good for the time because there was very little on in martial arts in, in, in the West and most of the decent martial arts stuff was coming in from, from China, from the Chinese film industry <laughs> sort of thing. But, I mean, if you look at like, if you look at movies. They were the only bits that were actually good in it with the Kung Fu bits. The films themselves, they were pretty terrible, really. And I think a lot of people are quite nostalgic and uncomfortable to say that, but 
I watched one not long ago, and you know, like they're pretty terrible films with pretty bad actors, and the only bits that were actually good were the choreography because Bruce Lee was, you know, so good. Well, End of the Dragon was good. That had some good actors in. It had John Saxon in. It had um, Chuck Norris in, I think. Um, yeah, but I guess um, I guess it was just like the whole point was that it wasn't about the story, was it? People just watched it to sort of go, "All right, you know." I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the problem was necessarily the acting with the Bruce Lee films. I think it was more to do with the production values. Yeah. Um, maybe. And the ADR and 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 the and the sound because the sound was always very very bad in them. And that's to do with um, that's to do with ADR and that's something well, that they never made books, big budget affairs anyway, were they? They were only sort of like probably the equivalent of almost like fan films nowadays. Yeah, but you know, most fan films that they're making nowadays are actually better than better than those films in terms of yeah. you know, but that's just to do with the technology we have now. You know, yeah. it's it's um it's it's amazing to, to look at things like that and see how far things have come. Um, but on that note, is there anything else you want to talk about, or should we wrap up the show? I think that's pretty much it, Ian. To be honest, um, yeah. big thank you to all the listeners, as always. Really, I'm just looking forward to hopefully next month. Now it still seems a while off. Um, I guess I'm, I'm looking forward to watching um, Black Widow. I'm looking forward to James Bond. Um, very quickly, I would like to just mention that. Did you see in the news that um, it might be the most expensive film launch of all time? Yep. Like, you know, which I think is really, really, really important for cinema. I think they've held off for it, they've held off for it and all that because it's James Bond and you can't watch James Bond at all. But it has to be some things you can just aren't that different. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's profitable for them and that MGM are able to recoup their, their money for from it. Because they're, I think they're, everybody will go and see that film. I think it will be an absolute renowned success and everyone will go, wow, this is what we've missed. I think that will be the film that shows you why we need cinema. That's what I predict. No, I, I think Top Gun's going to beat it, hands down. <laughs> I think it's going to be a battle. Yeah, but I think um, in terms of excitement, I think, that, I think the thing about James Bond is part of the reason it's always done so well, it's got a massive fan base and it's got a diverse fan base. It's got hardcore Bond fans like us and it's just got, and then it's got people who just want to go to the cinema and see fast cars and chases and explosions who don't really know any history about Bond. They aren't really bothered and it appeals to all. And also, you know, it's... Um, I think it does really, really, really well because it sort of appeals to a sense of nationalism in people, even people that don't really want to think of themselves as that, mm. you know? Yeah, but I think I think nationalism has become kind of toxic of late. Yeah, no, I think it has, but like, I guess that that's what's always... Um, I guess if you said to most people, even if they're not interested in politics, you know, top five things that are British, up there with fish and chips and a cup of tea, almost everyone would say James Bond, wouldn't they, you know? <laughs> yeah, and 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 that'll be shortly followed by the Austin Martin DB5. You know, I'm a staunch anti-monarchist, but there's only two people who ever will ever slightly make me root for the Queen. That's been James Bond has been the only one, and then recently is Alfred Pennyworth as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and and on that note, we're gonna um, we're gonna sort of like take our flags down to half mast and. Um, and and end the show. But thanks thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, just to let you all know, we're actually now on Spotify. And to find us on Spotify and subscribe, you just type in Sci-Fi Pulse Radio, and and you'll find us on Spotify. And you can subscribe to us on Spotify. So 
that that's something that's recently happened. We've just gotten ourselves on there. Uh, and on that note, uh, we're going to sort of like wish you farewell, and we'll see you next time. Bye.